0: Good morning and welcome to worship i'm pastor jason it's a joy to welcome you wherever you're at joining us around the world or here in southwest missouri we hope you'll take a moment sign in greet your neighbor and you can do that in the chat if you'd like some prayer you can do that also in the prayer room today as we go along in worship we hope you'll join in in whatever way uh, you you sense in responding to god we'd also like to invite you to check out our classes we've got several new classes that are starting right now I'm teaching a class on the Book of Jonah, Pastor Jim is leading a class on John Wesley, and Pastor Spencer is leading a class on the Book of James. And there are other classes as well. There's a great way for you to connect, join with other people as you continue to grow in the Lord. Now let's enter into worship.
1: I believe in Christ the Son, I believe in the Holy Spirit, our God is Suffered and crucified Forgiveness is in you Descended into darkness That we will rise again For I believe
0: come to a time of prayer there are four things today that I'd really like us to focus on in our time of prayer the first is just quieting our hearts and being open to listening to the Lord so I'd invite you to just pause for a moment of silence where you're at to open yourself up to listening to the voice of God what does God want to say to you and to me today As we're opening to listening to God and as God begins to speak to us, one of the things that we recognize is that God has given us many great gifts. And so today, I'd like for you to begin to speak back to God things that you're thankful for. I'd invite you to speak to God what, has, what you've noticed around yourself that you want to give God thanks for. And it should be noted that today is Mother's Day. And so some of the things I'm thankful for is the fact that that I've had a lot of of people in my life pour into me and speak words of life and and give me life. First and foremost is my mom, but then I think of my grandmoms and my great-grandmothers. So let's begin to give God thanks. Another point of prayer is bringing to the Lord uh, our petitions, the things upon our hearts and minds that are heavy, that uh, we need help for, that we need to cry out to the Lord for. So just as we've given thanks, what are the things that you've been carrying that you need to bring before the Lord and seek the Lord's help on? Let us speak to the Lord from our hearts. So in prayer, we open our our hearts up and our lives up to hear from God. We open up our, our hearts to give God gratitude, to share with God the things that are happening in the midst of our lives, what we'd like God to attend to. But as we interact with God, we begin to see who God is and who we are. And so there's a prayer written in our United Methodist hymnal that actually asks Christ to come and be a part of our lives. And so I'd like to share that prayer with you It's an invitation to Christ. Come, our light, and illumine our darkness. Come, our life, and revive us from death. Come, our physician, and heal our wounds. Come, flame of divine love, and burn up the thorns of our sins, kindling our hearts with the flame of your love. Come, our King, sit upon the throne of our hearts, and reign there. For thou alone are our God, are our King, and our Lord. Amen. Now, will you join with me and with our choir members in saying the Lord's Prayer.
2: Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread.
1: And forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us.
2: And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen.
0: Friends, if you'd like to know more about the ministries of Schweitzer, we'd encourage you to go to sumc.co slash newsletter, where you can sign up to receive news from a number of different sources about what's happening at Schweitzer. Also, you'll hear news about how the ministries are being impacted by the generosity of Schweitzer's people. We give thanks for how God is, is being a blessing to Schweitzer and to the ministries of this church, because people are responding to the act of worship with their tithes and their offerings. So today, we encourage you if to continue this practice of worship by going to sumc.co slash give. Thanks, let's continue in our
1: worship. and peace like a river attendeth my way when so
0: here at Schweitzer, we've been telling 52 stories. 52 stories are stories about how God has been at work in our own lives. We've had a number of great stories. We invite you to check those out. And today, a story comes from a mom on Mother's Day, Miss Emily Bailey.
2: I teach kids music here at Schweitzer and I also help a lot with uh, Kids BBS as far as the music goes. Um, I teach at Pellegrino School of Music and Art, I teach voice and piano. My husband and I were married in 2008, in 2013 we became pregnant with our first, our first baby. Um, her name is Ellie, she's now seven years old. My pregnancy went completely normal, completely healthy, nothing ever seemed to be like it was going to turn into a problem. Her neonatologist came and talked to me and said, kind of what had happened filled me in with everything and um, gave me a fifty percent chance of her surviving, and if she did survive, she was going to have severe cerebral palsy and probably a seizure disorder. She had a couple seizures while she was in the NICU in her first three days. She was there for a total of seventeen days and When she left the hospital, she had images showing up on an MRI of brain damage, and they were concerned that she would have some developmental delays, have some cerebral palsy. They told me she probably would never walk and probably would never talk. Seven years later, perfectly healthy baby. Her doctors are all just astounded at her progress and at how healthy she is and how she's reached all of her milestones and she started kindergarten this year and was actually one of the one of the better ones in her class as far as schooling goes she was really picking up things fast she's starting to read and it's been been really cool to watch God's answered prayer progress over the last seven years every time i look at her now every time i see her running across the backyard and she's playing and she's playing with friends and interacting well socially and Running, I mean they told me she'd never walk so the fact that she's running across our backyard is pretty miraculous but she uh, she's a sign she is proof to the power of prayer and the power of people coming together in prayer in the long run it has really shown me the power of prayer and how God has a plan for us and how God can give you peace through even the most difficult situations. My name is Emily Estes-Bailey, and this is just the beginning of my story. Well
3: friends, welcome today, my name is Spencer. Uh, this is gonna be part eight of a series we're on called Faith and Fear. Before I say anything else though, I wanna say happy Mother's Day to um, all our moms who are watching today. We're so thankful for you, hope you have a great Mother's Day. And uh, we, we are just uh, thankful that you joined us today as well. So today, um, part eight of eight, this is our last week of this series called Faith and Fear. And we have spent the last eight weeks studying um, one of the most important people in history. His name's Abraham. And we've gone through his life and looked at um, uh, his life and studied studied his life. And, and I was drawn to Abraham because Abraham um, is somebody who uh, is both a hero of faith. He's definitely a hero of faith in the Bible. Yet at the same time, Abraham is somebody who struggles deeply with fear. And so this, this struggle of, of faith and fear, I find it so interesting and so, and so helpful because it teaches us something about what faith is, is like and what faith isn't. Uh, when we look at Abraham's life, we learn that faith is not just that we believe in God or that faith is not just that uh, we believe certain things about God, like doctrines or theology. Sometimes I hear people talk about like, the Methodist faith or the Baptist faith, and I'm not even sure what that really means, but faith is not just certain doctrine. Faith is not an emotion. It's not what we feel. It's not that we feel confident in God. What we learn in, in, by looking at Abraham's life is that, is that faith is, is the real choices that you and I make in our life to trust God. Faith is what shows up in, in the real interactions we have with other people. It's, it shows up in what we do with our, our money, how we think about our future. It shows up in our relationships. It shows up it, with what we um, think about our future. Faith is, is the real decisions that you and I make in our life. It's the real choice that we make to trust God with the details of our life. And this is what we see uh, with Abraham. And so today we're going to wrap up this series. Uh, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 22. And just full disclosure, Genesis 22 is a difficult passage and uh, it's one of those things that you read and you're you're left kind of wondering, uh, what do I do with this? It is a, a difficult passage to read. I'll do my best to, to explain some of the difficulty, but we're going to read through this, Genesis chapter 22. But as we do, even though it's a hard passage, this is a really helpful um, helpful teaching and, 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 and illustration example of, of what it looks like to live by faith and not by fear. That's really our goal here. How do, what do we need to know to live by faith and not by fear? So Genesis chapter 22. We're going to start in verse 1. Here's how it goes. It says, Sometime later, sometime later, God tested Abraham and he said to him. So, sometime later, sometime later. Now, if you haven't been with us, we met Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, eight weeks ago. He was 75 years old. And in Genesis chapter 12, God spoke a promise to Abraham, and the promise went like this He said, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. Uh, I will make your name great and you'll be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. I've read that for eight weeks. Hopefully you got it by now. But this is the, the blessing that God spoke over Abraham. And, and uh, it's a blessing that he's going to become a great nation that, and that this nation is going to bless the world. Uh, to be a great nation, you need a descendants. Abraham and his wife Sarah, they are childless. And so there's this, this tension in their life where God has promised them to be this great nation with descendants. And, and here they are with, without anybody. And we're left wondering, um, how how is this going to work together? What, this, what does this look like? And so um, for 25 years, Abraham and Sarah, they wait. They wait and they wait and they wait. Along the time, sometimes they make faithful choices. Sometimes they make fearful choices. But they wait and they wait and they wait. And so when we read this line, sometime later, we, we have caught up now where they have been waiting for 25 years and finally, miraculously, God has given them a son. His name is Isaac, born in their very old age. And so now they have this son, Isaac, who's been born to them. And after this waiting, after this this, um, struggle, finally they have this son. And so here's what we read, Genesis 22, sometime later, it says, God tested, and I want you to hear that word, God tested Abraham. And he said to him, Abraham... Here I am, he replied. That's what Abraham says back to God. And then God says to Abraham, here's the test, verse two. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. That's quite a test. Take your son, your only son, whom you love, and sacrifice him on a mountain where I'm going to show you. like This is one of those passages in the Bible where you just, you're left wondering, what do I do with that? How is it that God is calling Abraham to kill his son? Like This is one of those things that, that doesn't fit within the character of God. And so what do we do with that? Well, I don't know that I've got a great explanation, but I want to offer you just um, three thoughts to put this in context. So maybe we can understand it a little bit better. But three thoughts just put it in context again. This is not going to be a great explanation, but just, just three things. First of all, um, it's very important to know that when we're reading through this, very quickly the author of Genesis told us that what we're about to see here is a test. That was verse one. Sometime later it said God tested Abraham. So we know, and the author is very clear to tell us this is a test. This is not real. God doesn't really want him to kill Isaac, but just so you know, this is a test. It's a test. Don't worry, it's a test. That's like very clear right from the get go. It's a test. Now. We know as readers it's a test, but of course Abraham doesn't know it's a test because what kind of test would it be if you knew it was a test? So so it's very important to know that we know it's a test. Um, Second, in Abraham's world 4,000 years ago in the ancient Near East, um, as strange as child sacrifices to us, it would have been a thing to them. It would have been a thing to them. And Abraham, he was 75 years old when he was called by God, probably before he was called by God. He was a pagan. And uh, so probably Abraham has some experience or exposure to child sacrifice because it, it was not an, an unusual thing 4,000 years ago in the ancient Near East. In fact, uh, the land where God sent Abraham to go live, it's the land of Canaan. Um, in the land of Canaan, there was a, a god there whose name was Baal, B-A-A-L. That's the the people worshipped him, B-A-A-L, Baal. And um, the way that you worshipped Baal in the Old Testament, the children of Israel are going to be tested with with Baal worship and tempted to worship Baal. You're going to see this throughout the Old Testament, but uh, the way that you worship Baal, because he was thought to be the god of, of rain, is that if you wanted it to rain so that you could grow crops, that you needed to sacrifice your child to him. And so the Israelites throughout their history are going to be tempted to worship Baal, but that doesn't mean that they're just be tempted to go to like the first church of Baal. It means that they're be tempted to. To worship uh, this God by killing their children. It would have been a a thing that Abraham would have been accustomed to um, 4,000 years ago in the ancient Near East. And the third thing to to put this in context is we have to remember, and I know this is going to sound simple, but we have to remember that, uh, that Abraham doesn't have the Scripture like we do. I know, simple idea. If you're in the Bible, you don't have the Bible. And so Abraham doesn't have what we have to know that God never calls us to, to child sacrifice. That this is never a thing in, in the in the Old Testament. That even though the people around the people of Israel may have been doing this, the people of Israel were, were forbidden from doing this. I did a very quick study. I looked maybe just five minutes, looked through the, some passages in the Old Testament. I counted um, 14 different times where it says don't kill your children in the, in the Old Testament. But Abraham doesn't have that. So he doesn't have that, that context there. So Um, this is just, you know, the context of what he's living within. And then I just want to say one more thing. It's not to put this in context, but just one more thing to think about when we read this line, this test of, uh, of take your son, your only son, whom you love and sacrifice him. That while you and I and everyone who's watching this, everyone who's watching this, we all thought the same thing. We felt the same thing. When we hear that test being given to Abraham, we all thought, how in the world could God tell somebody to do this? How in the world could God tell somebody to, to sacrifice their own son? This isn't the character of God that he would want us to sacrifice their own son. And that is absolutely true throughout the Old Testament. That is what we read. Um, however, I just want you to notice how similar Genesis 22:2, take your son, your only son, whom you love and sacrifice. I so, want you to notice how similar that is to another very famous passage in the Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Like this famous passage where where certainly God is not calling us to sacrifice in this way, and yet God himself sacrifices his own son that we might have eternal life. And by the way, as we read through the rest of this chapter in Genesis 22, we are gonna see um, similarity after similarity of of the sacrifice of Jesus and how this looks. So let's keep reading here. Um, Verse three, here's what we read next. It says, early the next morning, pay attention to that, early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. And when he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. And and I want you to notice when Abraham does this. Um, He says it early the next morning. He doesn't doesn't wait for... uh, For when his calendar frees up, he doesn't wait till he's got a free moment. He doesn't wait for the weather to clear. He just, early the next morning, as soon as God says this, I'm gonna go do this. Um, John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist, he says this, he says, those who do the will of God heartily will do it speedily. We don't put off what God has called us to do. And this is what Abraham's doing. He's not gonna put off what God has called him to do. So early the next morning, right away, he's going on his way. So verse four, it says, on the third day, catch that, the third day, Abraham looked up and he saw that the place in the distance. And so he said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship, and then we will come back to you. When you read the Bible, sometimes the small details are so, so important. I want you to hear this. We will come back to you. Abraham has every, uh, every expectation that he's gonna come back to the people that he's with, with his son, Isaac. They're gonna go up to the mountain together and they're gonna come back down the mountain together. That Isaac is, is gonna make this. He's willing to follow the Lord on this, but he has every expectation that God is gonna provide for him. Um, in Hebrews chapter 11 in the New Testament, the writer of Hebrews describes this test that Abraham goes through in Genesis 22. And in Hebrews 11 verse 19, uh, the author of Hebrews describes why Abraham is able to do this test. And, and here's what that writer writes. He says, quote, Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. This is why he's willing to go through with this test because he reasoned that God is even able to provide for him in, in, in any way possible, that God is able to do all things. And so because of this, verse six, it says, Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and he placed it on his son, Isaac. So Isaac is gonna have to carry the wood that's meant to kill him, which of course reminds us of how Jesus had to carry his own cross. And he himself, Abraham himself, carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. He said, the fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Like, like Dad, we're, we're missing something kind of important here. I see the fire, I see the wood. Where, where is the lamb? What, what's going to happen to the lamb? And, and again, we need to remember that Jesus uh, the similarities here. Jesus is the Lamb of God who is sacrificed for us. And so verse, verse 8, I want you to hear verse 8. It's so important. Abraham answered, God himself will provide the Lamb for the burnt offering, my son. God himself will provide the Lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And then it says, And the two of them went on together. I want you to catch this. God himself will provide the Lamb for this. And of course, we know, because we've read through Abraham's story, that God also provided Isaac that God is the one who's provided all along and that, and that finally now at the, at the end of this journey of Abraham, at the end of his life, um, there's been this transformation that's taken place in Abraham's life where he is able to trust God in a way that he hasn't done so far because he understands that God is going to provide for him, that God is going to provide for him. Bible scholar um, Timothy Fratham, he comments on this and he says this, I found this really helpful so I wanna share it with you. He says this, he says, from Abraham's perspective, The God who commands has filled his life with promises. God has filled Abraham's life with promises. He goes on, he says, he understands that God has Abraham's best interest at heart. This is the lesson that Abraham has learned so far. I love it. That God has Abraham's best interest at heart. And so therefore, he has already learned to trust this God. He has no reason to distrust the God from whom this word comes However harsh and frightening it may be. I think that's such a great observation that what Abraham has learned in his life in the last 25 years of waiting is that God has his best interest at heart. So why would I distrust him? God has his best interest at heart, so why distrust him? My wife Abby has this thing that she says usually when I'm stressed out, but she, um, she has this line that, that she loves to use where she'll say that. Um, that it's in God's character to bless us. That's her line. It's in God's character to bless us. So I get stressed out about, you know, every X, Y, or Z, whatever it is, and she just comes back. You know, it's, it's in God's character to bless us. You know, it's, God's going to take care of us. He always has. He's always provided for us. This is like His character. This is what He's like. It's in God's character to bless us. God's not going to turn His back on us. He's not setting us up to fail. He's not trying to trick us. God. God always provides for us. God always blesses us. This is what his character is like. So my wife reminds me of this all the time, and, and this is the realization that we see that Abraham is finally making, is that he's realizing that this is God's character. It is God's character to bless us, and so therefore we can trust him. And this is what keeps going. So verse nine, listen. It says, "'When they reached the place God had told them about, "'Abraham built an altar there, "'and he ranged the wood on it. "'He bound his son Isaac "'and laid him on the altar on top of the wood.'" And then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven. It's like, Abraham, Abraham, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> That's what he says. Abraham says, here I am. That's what he said to the Lord beginning verse one as well. Here I am, he replied. He says, do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns and he thinks to himself, how did I miss that earlier? He went over and he took the ram and he sacrificed his burnt offering instead of his son. And So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. And uh, this is the last significant thing that is said about Abraham, about his life in the Bible. There's, you keep reading, there's a story about the, the death of Sarah. There's a, a story about how Isaac uh, chooses a wife, with kind of has Abraham's help in that. And then there's the story of Abraham's death. But this is the last significant thing that we read about Abraham's life in the Bible. And it's, it's a story of trust. It's a story of faith. It's a story of him uh, putting aside uh, and taking what is most precious to him and giving it to the Lord. Abraham's trust. I want you to catch this, this trust that we see Abraham demonstrating here. This trust is a practical thing. That's what we tried to say all along in this series, that that when we look at faith, faith is not an abstract. It's not just that I believe in God. It's that I'm willing to put this belief into practice, and it's willing that I'm going to take um, something that is precious to me, and I'm going to surrender it to the Lord, I'm going to surrender it to the Lord. I'm going to put the outcome of this thing in the Lord's hands. And that, that word I just used, um, surrender, that is a, a key word for people who live by faith. Surrender. People who live by faith and not by fear, they know They know that, that the best way that they can live their life is when they surrender things to the Lord. They surrender their life to the Lord. They surrender their relationships to the Lord. They surrender everything to the Lord and they put it in His hands. And surrender is so much a part of of living a faithful life that it's in that prayer that we pray every single week. That prayer that Jesus taught us where we say, your kingdom come, your will be done. It's it's an act of surrender that we say every week together because it's so incredibly important to living a life of faith instead of a life of fear. There was this famous missionary named Leslie Newbegin who lived in the nineteen uh, mid nineteen hundreds. He served in India as a missionary from like nineteen thirties, nineteen seventies, and Newbegin wrote extensively about missions. if you're interested in global missions, you should read some Leslie Newbegin. But um, as a young man, Newbegin tells the story about how, in, when he was growing up in Scotland, he started to feel this pull from God to to give his life to the Lord to serve the Lord. And so one afternoon, he goes to his local church, and the church's is dark. It's a, just an afternoon, and, and he goes there to commit himself to the Lord. He's already a believer, but he feels like he needs to really commit himself to God and give himself to God for God's work. And so he goes to this local church one afternoon, and he has a piece of paper with him that he he starts to write down all of these things that he's going to sacrifice for God, all the things he's going to do for God. He starts to write down, I'm going to preach the gospel. I'm going I'm to give away money. I'm going to wake up early to seek the Lord. I'm going uh, to fast you know, once a week. I'm going to do all these things. And he has all these things that he writes down on this piece of paper, and he takes this piece of paper and he puts it on the communion table. And he says as he puts it on the communion table before the Lord, the altar there, and, and sacrifices this, these, these things he's going to do for God. He says that he just, he, feels, he just feels nothing. So he goes and he sits back down in, in, in the pew that he was sitting in and he's thinking to himself, well, why didn't I feel anything? I should have felt like I, I met with the Lord with this. I'm, I'm sacrificing and I'm committing myself to God. So why is it that I, that I didn't feel anything? And so he, he takes out another piece of paper and he just starts writing like harder things that he's going to do. He's not just going to preach the gospel. He's going to like be a missionary. He's not going to serve people. He's going to serve the poorest of people. He's going to, he's going to not just tithe and give away all his money. He's going to, he's going to not just wake up early to seek the Lord. He's going to wake up even earlier and fast twice a week and memorize whole books of the Bible. Just like thing after thing after thing after thing after thing, he's going to do that's really difficult and sacrificial. He's going to do for the Lord. And he takes up this piece of paper and he, and he puts it on the altar and he, and he and he walks away and he and again he just he says I I just I felt I felt nothing. And so finally, he sits in this pew for some time and he's thinking about this. Why, why is the Lord not meeting with me? He thinks I should be having this like spiritual experience with the Lord as I'm trying to like devote myself to God for what God wants me to do in my life and to live in the will of God. And, and finally, he just gets another piece of paper out. And this time, he says he just leaves it blank and he walks up to the altar and he places that before the Lord and he says that prayer that we pray from, the Lord, from, from Jesus. Um, your kingdom come, your will be done. It's the prayer of saying to the Lord, I, I'm going to surrender this to you. you. You write the script, not me. It's not about what I'm going to do for you. I, I just want to be available for what you have. I, I'm willing to put my life into your hands. This is, this is what surrender looks like. And I, I love that story because it, it's such a great example of what it looks like to live in the peace of God. That's what Newbigin says as he puts that piece of paper on the altar and he walks away, he says, his heart is flooded with peace. And for the first time in his life, he says, I know I'm living in the, in the will of God for my life. You see, surrender is, is when we find ourselves living in, in the will of God. This is God's will for us. Not that we go do a whole lot of heroic things for him, but rather what God is looking for you and He's looking for me is that we would be willing to lay down our life to put our plans in his hands, to put our relationships in his hands, to put our future in his hands, to take everything that's precious to us and to put it in his hands and to say that prayer, your will be done. This is the act of faith. This is the act of faith that people who live by faith and not by fear, they know that this this is how you get there. You have to surrender. You have to lay down those things that are precious to us and put the outcome of those things into God's hands. Now, what I've found in my life is that this act of surrender is not something that happens on a one-time basis, but it's something that I have to come back to over and over and over again because it's, it's something that I have to remember that I, I, I sometimes slowly start to t- take control of my life more and more, but what I have to learn is that if I'm going to live a faithful life, I have to surrender and surrender and surrender to the Lord over and over and over again, all of those things that are precious to me, to put them in God's, into God's hands. And and I know I need to do that, especially when I begin to feel fear rising within me. The antidote to to fear is is to begin to live in this trust of God that I can put everything in his hands and I can say to him, your will be done. I I don't know the outcome of it. I don't know how it's going to turn out. I I don't know what it's going to look like. But Lord, your will be done. And so I wonder today, if there's anything in your life that's causing you fear, that you need to surrender to the Lord. That you need to say this prayer that Jesus taught us to say, where we say, your kingdom come, your will be done. It's not, it's not about us, it's about you. What do you want to do in my life? What do you want to do with these situations? Maybe there's relationships. Maybe there's an outcome you're looking for. Maybe there's, there's a financial problem. Maybe it's your health Maybe it's your future, maybe it's your purpose in life. I I don't know what it might be, but I wonder if there's something in your life that's causing you fear, stress, anxiety that you need to surrender to the Lord today to say to him, your will be done. Your will be done. Let's pray together. And so Father, today, we thank you for the simple truth that you have our best interest at heart. You have our best interest at heart. Why would there be any reason why we should distrust you? And because you have our best interest at heart today, we want to renew this surrender, this act of faith that we have before you. For some of us, there are some specific things, specific things that have been causing us to live in fear. And this morning, we want to name these things. And we want to say to you, your will be done. I surrender this to you. I want to give this to you. This is yours and not mine. And as we surrender, we know that this is really the will of God for our life, that we would let go of our plans, that we would let go of our agendas, that we would let go of our preferred outcomes, and we would just put this in your hands to say, you do what you need to do. This is yours. My life is yours. My future is yours. My relationships are yours. My career is yours. My finances are yours. It's all yours. And so, Lord, your will be done. Your will be done in our life, in my life today. I thank you that you have given us your son as a, as a sacrifice for us. And so that now we can boldly and trust and faith know that we can trust you with absolutely every detail of our life. As we give ourselves to you again and say, your will be done in us. In the name of Jesus, our Savior, we pray. Amen. Yeah. Hey. Well, it's been great to join together in worship today. I hope this has been a helpful experience for you. And if it has been helpful, I encourage you to share this with friends or family. You can do that by sharing a link or sharing it on Facebook. This, this message of, of good news that we have for the world, that we can trust God with absolutely everything and surrender our lives to Him. We'll see you again next Sunday at 9.02 a.m. right here online.